0: All right, it's time for the Morning Brief. I'm Jerry Yegar in for John Moore this morning. And joining me, Preet Banerjee, personal finance commentator and founder of Money Gaps. Preet, good morning. Good morning, sir. All right, so what did you think of hearing that Toronto City Council is voting to explore new revenue options? Did you want to grab your wallet?
1: Well, uh, I'm glad they're just exploring options. I feel like it's more of a a positioning um, strategy at this point. Uh, The vote was to ask city staff to come back later this year with a potential suite of revenue tools, uh, which could include things like, uh, I suppose, a a municipal income tax or sales tax, uh, the parking levies, maybe a congestion charge like they have in other cities around the world. I don't know. Um, But I feel like they're doing this because they feel this will give them a better negotiating stance when they come to ask the province and the feds for money. Because Tory basically said, if we don't, look like we're doing anything, we're less likely to get something. So maybe it's just a strategy, but I think we have until the end of the year to figure out what we will be paying more for, and in the meantime, we can live
0: with the worry of knowing that we probably will be paying more for something. All right. so you're a business person. Did it bother you to hear Joe Biden, President of the United States last night, when he gave his State of the Union speech, say he's going to toughen up on Buy America, don't get that Canadian lumber, don't get that Canadian (laughs) drive, wall. That's a... Uh, it bothers me.
1: It, it does, because I think you're... you're <sighs> telling people what they think they want to hear, which is, oh yes, this is good for us in our economy. And what they don't realize is it could lead to higher prices down the road. I mean, let's take a look at a a simple example of, let's say the millions and millions of smartphones that people are now addicted to were all had to be produced in the United States. I think someone did a study. They said, if we had to do that, the cost of these phones wouldn't be, you know, 500 to $1,000, they'd be about $2,500. So. Thank you all these companies who are thinking, okay, so now I have to source materials uh, and and other things locally may not be the best price. So from a business perspective, you're thinking, ugh, do I have to pay more now because this is gonna get this guy more votes? And and it feels like, again, he's just telling people what they think they wanna hear when it comes to voting.
0: Sure, Uh, that is uh, is sort of the classic example of a populist move, isn't it? But it, it isn't necessarily, it's not Joe Biden's job to worry about whether things are good for Canadians. It's not his job. But it's, this is not necessarily good for Americans because what government should be doing is trying to get the, the best deal for the, the most people and trading back and forth between countries, uh, despite what some people try to say, is actually a good thing.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. This, this smacks of, uh, you know, the, the populist trend that we're seeing in politics, which have always been around but are just getting
0: exacerbated as of late. You know, it's interesting that a couple of uh, our newspaper outlets are taking this up from different philosophical perspectives. On the more conservative side, you have the Post, and on the liberal side, you have the Star. But they're both talking about the fact that uh, Trudeau doesn't seem to be able to control his caucus the way he could before. The way it's generally done in Canadian politics— to my dismay, is it's all about the leader, and I say that whether it's Doug Ford or whether it's Justin Trudeau, Um, I, you know, I elected my local representative to have an opinion and and, uh, (laughs) stick up or something, but that's not normally how they operate, but there seems to be a lot more rumbling, and I wonder what that means for Trudeau.
1: Yeah, it's a great observation because I agree in that, you know, in Canada, you elect sort of, you know, your local representative, but the trend has been getting worse until recently. And that is, you know, the, you know, the the party whips have really tried to bring people in line to a very high degree, to the point where a couple of years ago, there was, I think, stories about people taking notes of who stood up and clapped and how hard they clapped when the leader spoke or presented different viewpoints. That's childish. Uh, Yeah, in in different uh, levels of government, and so now what we're seeing with uh, you know members kind of breaking ranks, uh, a number of these bills seemingly coming out half baked, um, because to have this amount of discussion and pushback this late in the stage is really something that we haven't seen. And it's happened a couple of times now uh, with the the gun bill, uh, the languages bill, and and what have you. So I think it does pretend that the leadership conversation is moving much further to the front burner in terms of an
0: issue. Uh, I I think the end is near for Trudeau. Yeah, but it would uh, have to involve his stepping down, whether, you know, a bunch of people metaphorically pointed the political gun at his head and said you need to step down so we can move forward. I mean, I can't I can't see them really actually just throwing him out, can you? Uh, I think it's
1: one of those situations where it seems unfathomable now, but I think things can turn. It really depends on if there is some kind of moment that galvanizes the party to say, "Okay, now you know, I feel that we could maybe pull this off." Until then, they're probably thinking, "No, now is not the right time." But I don't know. It's been a long time, and the longer you're in politics, the more change is afoot.
0: I'm talking to Preet Banerjee, he's personal finance commentator and founder of Money Gaps, and I recall it probably a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, while we were still broadcasting at home and we had all of the lockdowns and everything going on because of the pandemic. I was talking to Rocco Rossi, who is the head of the Chamber of Commerce, and he was saying that in terms of businesses collapsing because of lockdowns, um, that was going to be a long-term thing, an after effect of the pandemic as opposed to they, you know, they close and just go away forever. And now we're seeing bankruptcies are soaring since the ending of the pandemic aid. So the aid was merely allowing those businesses to limp along.
1: Yeah, I think there is a little bit more to this story. And I think it's a little bit more of a longer term story than what we're seeing now. So the the recent headlines, you know, they sound pretty scary. But I don't think the data yet matches those, those headlines. I think insolvencies are quite they're turning out to be quite the lagging indicator so again not to discount what is happening because the rate of change in the last year for businesses has been huge but if you take a step back and look to sort of the the last quote unquote normal times, so 2019 before the pandemic the rate of filings is about the same so what we had was there was a massive drop-off in the number of filings for a couple of reasons the pandemic supports yes but there was also a point where bankruptcy courts weren't even open so even if you wanted to you couldn't um and so i think that massive drop-off we had a basically a big u-shape in the data so that second leg, that upswing is what we're seeing now, but we've only gotten back to the pre-pandemic levels. But I don't think the pain is over yet. I think that we're going to potentially see that those rates will surpass those and that will take some time. And I think it's going to be slow and ugly. Um, So I don't want to be too negative, but I think this is, I don't know if it's the tip of the iceberg, but we're not seeing the worst part of it yet.
0: Yeah, well, it's hard to find the positive in that regard. And I feel for all those businesses. Now, as a business person yourself, maybe you'll disagree with me here and uh, feel free um, but I've been talking about this diamond and diamond story it's back in the news because they're at the penalty phase because mm-hmm. uh, for reasons that mystify me they decided somebody decided to attack diamond and diamond because it turns out they contract out some of the work and uh, the the stars all over this all the time they seem to really hate him for some reason um, and I'm looking at it and going. Well, I don't get the real problem. I don't care. If I go to a law firm, if I go to a construction company, if I go to you for business and then you're contracting out, all I care is, are you actually in charge and taking responsibility in the long run? And are you putting my business with competent people? That's all I care about. How do you look at it?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a, you know, pretty traditional broker style relationship, with which we have in many other industries, uh, you know, you go to a mortgage broker, and you have this one point person, but they'll put you in touch with, you know, the, the lending institution that they've determined will do the best job. And even though that lending institution might manage that relationship, ultimately, it falls back on the broker if things go sour, because they're going to point the finger at you and that affects you as your reputation and your ability to get other business through other people. So So it seems not dissimilar to that type of relationship. I'm not clear as to why the Law Society feels that that um, somehow would not be allowed in the legal profession. So I am kind of wondering why there is such a big pushback to that model and it's a matter of disclosures, then fine, you know, add those disclosures, what have you. But it's a pretty tried and true business model for a number of different industries. And at the end of the day, as a consumer, you think I have something that needs to be done. And if you can facilitate that and do a good job, that's what I'm paying for. And I can value that. That's all I really need to know how you do it, who you contract out to.
0: I'm not that bothered about. No, because if I knew how to contract it out or do it myself, that's what I'd do. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Preet Banner G., personal finance commentator, founder of Money Gaps. Good to have you. Thanks very much. Thank you, Jerry.